Sonic Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Sonic Talk number 157. We are live. Uh, it's a very special week this week. Uh, I'm expecting to see uh, lots of live listeners because we've got a guest in the studio. Uh, very pleased to welcome Tara Bush. Hello. Who's, uh, who's come in all the way from California. We flew her in at great expense just to, just to come and be a guest on the show. I wish, it, I wish that was true, Tara, but you're here for other reasons, aren't you? It's true in our hearts. Uh, <laughs> you can say all the right things. Brilliant. Yes, yes. And also, Matt Lewis, who uh, you're part of the, You're playing live, aren't you? And you're kind of doing some gigs, so Matt's doing, doing the marketing and the, uh, the live aspect yeah. right i kind of do all terror's visual stuff so all the, uh, and all the film all right the okay film, all the photos all the design and uh i do play a little bit with her live sometimes and uh i enjoy that that's good i'm very glad yeah uh and also we've got dave spears from g4software.com hello how are you dave i'm all right good thank you Having a good week. What did I hear in the background there? Was there a bit of that sounded like a bit of polyphonic synth action there in the background? Yeah, it was. A bit of sound design. Ah, okay. You got a gig? Me? No. Oh. <laughs> just doing it for fun. Uh, just tweaks on the uh, Imp2 stuff. Ah, okay. Right. Well, um, I'll just, while I'm here, I should say, um, if you want to join us next week, because you're not here this week, goodness knows why you wouldn't be, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live, 4pm UK time. So please do um, come along next week uh, and uh, join us in the chat room and listen to the live show recording. So um, obviously Tara's here for uh, some gigs and you're over, you're over till after Christmas, before Christmas? Yes, right, we're over until December 28th. Have you done any gigs so far? I mean, how have they been going? Um, we did one gig in London on Monday, and it was wonderful. It was a great fun. Social. It was at The Social, and it was for um, Beth Elfin, who is a Radio 1 DJ from Wales, and it was her Christmas party there, and it was great fun. Oh, excellent. Yeah, it was, it was very, very fun. Great crowd. I love playing over here. I think people are very, very receptive and very open. Um, I got to give an autograph to someone that bought oh, my wow. box. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> It was exciting. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was lovely. It was really cool. No so. one ever asks for autograph. <laughs> yeah, but, you know. It's weird. You want to put yourself on the cover, Matt. Mm. <laughs> uh, that is him on the cover now. We <laughs> saw you. Um, you came over in the summer, didn't you? And we t- um, talking about the, the famed box set, which we talked mm-hmm. about on subsequent podcasts. Yes. And it's finally here. And I guess you must have sold out, like, ages ago by now. So Yes, we actually, when, when it was uh, put up on pre-order, it sold out in... Two three days, math. Yeah, so, I think four hours. Yeah, it was. It was weird. We we didn't know whether we were going to um, sell out or not, and we didn't know whether we were going to uh, be successful with that. So mm-hmm. when we released it, I thought uh, my, my my fear was that it was going to be my mum, Tara's <laughs> mum, and me, and yeah, and maybe you. a couple of friends, and we'd we'd sell maybe eight. And then spend the next three years trying to sell them. Yeah, trying to because you, you chuck gen- on eBay. genuinely didn't know. Yeah, you know, it was such a weird thing to do. We genuinely didn't know how it would go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, most of our friends couldn't get hold of them. I think we only had about four or five friends buy them, and uh, one or two members of our family, our extended families, who all promised they would, and they they were sold out before even. Yeah, I mean, we kind of. I think. <laughs> 
I think we were. We, I expect because it was only how many did you do? Do you like fifty? We did one. Or? We did one hundred. You did a yeah. hundred, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's great. And then, did you do other versions? You know, you've been the album's presumably selling outside of that as well. You're selling mm-hmm. it what iTunes and on know. iTunes, it's on, it's on Tummy Touch and on CD. Um, we're looking at a vinyl release at some point, but okay. it was just a yeah CD release download and the box set, and that was again only 100 were made. Of course, we are talking about Pilfisher Lane. It's very yes. remiss of me to mention this. We just got into boxed box uh, box set talk because mm-hmm. uh, a couple of our uh, general um a couple of the people that that are on the show regularly you've also got them and we haven't mm-hmm. none of us have opened them yet we're kind of holding on to them for that's, collector's mm-hmm. items that's wonderful because we we didn't know what people would do with them and the the default seems to be people are too scared to open them which is great because there's nothing inside <laughs> <laughs> you only did the actual yeah, yeah. You just did the video a piece of paper with a smiley face on it <laughs> A bit of, yeah, that'd be brilliant. Or a very cheap raffle ticket. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, that would be quite a coup. That would be quite a, quite a coup. The next one would have <laughs> nothing inside. Okay. <laughs> but like a, a true airbox. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> so, Tara, uh, how, how's the album been going? I mean, you know, it's, um, it's now you can get it everywhere else. You know, yeah, it's not so just it's, a box set. It's, I think it's been, it's been coming along quite well. Um, we it, It's uh, kind of cut on... It's been a bit of a, a, a slow burn. I mean, the, the album was actually finished quite, uh, I guess, like two years ago, and eventually it finally got released. Um, Tommy Touch picked it up, and um, the songs have been around for quite a while, but it's been going quite well. I think people are really starting to warm to it, um, especially the, the UK. People seem to be really, really into it here. Um, it's quite, you know, it's quite quite a left field. I was going to say there, there is kind a sort of, of concept progressive. Yeah, it's kind of a square album. It's a bit geeky, okay. and um, I, I wouldn't consider it to be quote unquote hip or trendy. But I think I, I think there's quite a a real honesty about that. It's kind of there's a, there's almost like a dream a psychedelic kind of dreamlike quality about mm-hmm. it. I mean, there's you know, influences I can hear and sort of quite a lot of Beach Boys and kind of combo organ, all of that kind yes, of stuff. Yes. And I was wondering, um, not not being too quick off the mark, but to, to grab it out of the lyrics that I heard, whether there was a narrative to the whole thing and whether there's a sort of story. Does it, in the true sense of a, of a mm-hmm. prog album, yes. it should have a backstory. Well, that's that's exactly what what uh, I was thinking when when the album was written was that I really wanted to bring up the whole atmosphere of what of my childhood and what it was like. So the album is um, based on my childhood. And it's also based on the years that I spent um, in this house on a road called Pilfisher Lane that my mm-hmm. father and a few of his friends built. And it was this really big house, but it kind of uh, more or less bankrupted <laughs> bankrupted us a bit. But it also, uh, so I, I became very focused on wanting to recreate those uh, those times when I was a child in the late 70s. So I think a lot of the musical influences came into it. Um, my oldest brother was playing a lot of David Bowie, a lot of Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. um, a lot of Beach Boys. But I think David Bowie and the Beach Boys were the biggest, right, okay. the biggest thing for me on this album. So I was kind of trying to create that, recreate that whole late 70s atmosphere right down to it being a real prog album but having a bit more of a contemporary twist to it as well mm. as far as how it was made in yeah. 2006. Well, that was so. another question I was going to ask because, I mean, you do all the kind of production and, and playing and recording, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's 
get let's get that straight because yes. a lot yes. of people think girls can't do that sort of thing you know <laughs> and expect there must be somebody else involved but you know i just wanted to make sure that that's apparent mm-hmm. uh, and my next question was it's actually it sounds quite analog and dated but in a good way you mm-hmm. know it sounds old yeah, yeah and i was thinking you know i wondered what what did you use to make it what sort of technology you know give us the the nuts and bolts of well, the we, door and all that yeah we really 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 wanted to create a real proper late 70s world for people to step into um we wanted you to feel like you were sitting on the floor when you were 10 years old with your first gatefold album looking at it and just like really recreating that so a lot of the stuff that we used um I guess the, probably the biggest thing was the, the Minimoog uh, Model D. We used that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Farfisa Compact Deluxe, which was my, my very first piece of gear that, it, that we ever got. And I got that because I was, um, was and am still a very, very big Rick Wright fan. And I know that that was the organ he used on Piper at the Gates of Dawn, which so I had to have that. Got that. Used that on the album quite a bit. Um, used a lot of homemade synths. Now, there's a, a guy named Mike Walters, and he played on the album, and he creates, um, he makes a bunch of homemade synths. He, use, he used uh, a circuit from Music from Outer Space and made what he calls his breadbox synth. Okay. And then he also made what he's probably more popular for is the Mellow Man, which is a Mellotron made out of cassette tapes. I remember seeing that. Yeah, I remember seeing yeah, the Sony uh, Walkman, video. You, you, you put because we talked about it because I saw the video on analogsuicide.com. dot com. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and on my YouTube page. <laughs> yes, let me just uh, go and get. We got another couple of members joining, so let me just go and get. So, uh, also joining us from the UK is Mark Tinley, uh, autismhero dot com. How are you doing, Mark? I'm very well, thank you. Good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear you're not in the bath today. I'm not in the bath, but I did go and get my eyes tested, and I've got to wear glasses. Okay. <laughs> you can get some stylish Italian ones and join. 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 I've got. Some, I've got some. I can't remember what mine are. Yeah, Mav's got some great. Yeah. great Italian glasses. Well, this is all new for me. The, the optician was saying, "Is it his first pair to Gina?" And she was like, "Going yes." And I was sort of being really pedantic about picking them and everything, and they were sort of chuckling at me. But... Yeah, and then you bought the the only ones you liked were yeah. like three hundred quid, right? Yeah. Oh no, they were only they were one hundred and eighty pounds, so that's not too bad. Not but... too bad. Okay, well, Mark, a pleasure to have you aboard. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'll also introduce uh, Mr. Richard Hilton from Sunny Connecticut. Rich is, of course, a world-renowned music producer, engineer, player, Grammy award-winning, you know, all that stuff. You can check out what he's about and what he's up to, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. How are you doing, Rich? Oh, good. Today's job will be snowblower operator. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You've got heavy snow in Connecticut. we got six inches. Oh, right on. Tara's, Tara's looking gleefully. It's fantastic. I, I grew up near Hartford, so I think Yes, I know. Tara's an old Connecticut girl. Yes, ah. yes I am. <laughs> well, uh, let me introduce everybody. Obviously, uh, Tara's here. We've just been talking about Pilfish Lane a little bit and a bit about the technology and the synthesizers. I was going to mm-hmm. um, also ask you about, you know, how, what did you use to record? I mean, what's your kind of record Logic process? Logic 7. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because we, uh, we recorded it in North Carolina, and um, Maff and I basically kind of locked ourselves in a room for about a year, learned logic, and went between you know him recording me in the hallway, in the attic, in the front room, we just used the whole house. And um, it, was, it was great, because we, we've been uh, working, and working with logic for a mm. while. I know Matt used logic for years before it went to Logic 7, so yeah. we were kind of familiar with it already. But um, we used that, and I, I thought it was fantastic. 
started out on GarageBand and then then went to uh, went to Logic Seven. It was an easy transition, actually. So, so cool. I noticed there's quite a lot of plate, or certainly sounds like authentic old spring and plate. Is that uh, is that for real, or is that uh, no? It's that's emulation? the uh, Universal Audio uh, plate reverb. Ah, yeah. sounded really good actually because mm. there's a couple of it's tracks where it's really it? you've got that real sort of dreamy almost like echo room kind of stuff going mm-hmm. on I like the, the really really long tail reverb stuff like that so yeah we used a lot of that absolutely and I also used a lot of um, Space Designer and Logic yeah did so. you use any of your own uh, impulses or just the kind of stuff that comes with it um, a bit of both. I, I'm I'm a complete automation maniac to to a, to a fault. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, if you if you look at my, uh, you know, put logic in where you can uh, see the global tracks and see all the automation, it's a bit insane. But I guess a lot of people do that. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> the arrangements are quite complex and sort mm-hmm. of. Uh, Sectional, you know, there's yes. it, it's it's sort of an unusual thing. I mean, how on earth are you managing to do this kind of stuff live? What's the sort of well, we ca- we we reconfigured a lot of the songs for live. Um, since I, I pretty much consider myself more of a uh, producer rather than a musician, yeah. um, we we had um, four guys come in and replay the stuff that I programmed, and it was a, a lot. Uh, a lot of it was down to my ability to communicate with them what I wanted. So when we had to take it on the road, it's just Maff and I. So we more or less remixed the songs into kind of a more avant-garde versions of the songs. Okay, and um, some some of them are a bit more simple so we've been able to keep them the way they are and um other ones yeah we've basically remixed them and um i i play a lot of the um, the simpler <laughs> piano parts i do play live oh so and, you, um, you you play a keyboard part i mean here, mm-hmm. I, the, what we've got here in the studio is an array of um moga fuga pedals I'm saying moga fuga pedals and uh, a couple of other bits and a laptop yes. so you're going to uh, you process your vocals live into was it motu traveler is that what it is? yeah i use motu traveler and i actually run the the vocal mic through a um a little digitech vocal 300 pedal it's which is a little corny but it's, it's handsome purple but it's cute it's purple yeah format. it works it's really it's, it you know it's a very very user friendly when you're on stage and you're stamping around sure. and you have you're up to your ears and cables on a little stage it's quite good so and then i run that uh into a low pass filter into a ring mod and then lastly into the analog delay and those are all the last three pedals i mentioned are all mogerfoger pedals and um yeah of course uh, and uh, you told me earlier that you're you're an officially moog uh endorsee yes Yeah. Dorsey in the house. Big, big curtsy. Yeah. yeah they're very, very nice people. They're great people. And I mean, you know how it is when you find a piece of gear that for some bizarre, irrational reason really stimulates you creatively. I mean, for that, Moog is that for me. But I mean, I know there's tons and tons of wonderful gear out there. But for some reason, it just really sparks something for me. Right. So, you know, but it's, um, yeah, it's a nice thing to have. Circuit Symphony, which I guess is Oliver Davis, who you might mm-hmm. know. Uh, he yeah, says, yeah. Tori, you've got to get the Boss VE20, he says. Being a Roland man, down to the core. Yes. <laughs> Elaborate. <laughs> Elaborate, she says. There is about a 40-second... Uh, <laughs> so we're going to get an instantaneous answer. But uh, I'm not sure. I guess it must be a vocal processor. So when yeah. the, the artist uh, endorsement comes from Roland, then definitely we're there. Yep, I'll have it. <laughs> Thanks, Oliver. Brilliant shit, that. P.O. Box, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic, thank you. 
But how do you feel about doing a tune? Because we've sort of talked about some of the technology and stuff. I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot immediately. Are you feeling comfortable with it? I feel pretty good about it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. First, tell us a little bit about what what song are you going to be doing and, you know, those kind of things. Well, first, I I thought that we would do the closing track on Pilfisher Lane, which is uh, We Can See Mars. And um, that is, yeah, that's that. It's uh, as far as... um, I guess where it is in the album, um, well, it's sort of the the lullaby of the album. Okay. Where um, the so-called character on the album, which is sort of a, a little girl version of me that's telling the story, um, is sort of fantasizing about being abducted by an alien. Okay. And <laughs> because, well, to make a long story short, um, my bedroom, bedroom window when I was young, it was a, a very, very big kind of bay window sort of thing, and it was upstairs, and we lived up on a mountain, and the sky was just, it was just this big, giant sky, but I was also kind of a paranoid little kid, and I always thought that there was either going to be an alien coming in to get me, or due to my Catholic upbringing, um, some sort of devil coming to get me, that sort of thing. Okay. So it was kind of, it's it's kind of getting um, a lot of that fright, expressing a lot of that really tender childhood sadness and fright in the end and trying to lull myself to sleep. So um, here, here uh, in, in a moment, uh, Tara's just positioning herself at her um, array of Mooga Fuga pedals and getting a mic sorted out. Matt's going to be uh, operating the, the laptop. Is that a MacBook Pro you're using there? It is. With Logic 9? It is. How are you finding Logic 9? Rocking. I love it. Whoever designed it, as in the, the interface, is genius. Thank you very much. Right, here we go.
fantastic. Thank you very much. Wow. It's like, it's so visceral, isn't it, when you're kind of manipulating your voice like that. It's sort of... Yeah, I love it. <laughs> wow, that's great. I noticed you were using pretty much all of the, the focus there to, to kind of do what you were doing. Mm-hmm. What was shifting the pitch? Was, was, the ring, was that the ring mod? Uh, that was a combination between the Digitech pedal. That was, um, ah, I was okay, shifting yeah. that up, and then I was um, treating it with the uh, the ring mod. With um, uh-huh. I had the mix all the way up, and the rate, uh, the carrier, everything else low. And then I was um, tweaking the carrier frequency to get that kind of uh-huh. thing. So. Yeah, it was great. It was great. <laughs> Yeah. So you got them kind of patched up and controlling each other, or are they going yeah. in, in line? Or I, I do have them patched. Um, I'm, I use the, the I, I run the microphone and the Digitech pedal into the the low pass filter, into the ring mod, into the delay. But I also use it as a synth without the mic, where um, I use the Moog as as the audio source and just run into the two other pedals. Oh, okay. So okay. Cause I, by turning the resonance all the way up, and then you can tweak the cutoff, and it kind of for want of a better word, I don't know if I'm using the right term, but it's self-oscillate. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So it kind of goes, it creates its own signal there. So, you know, and then once once we get all of our other mode gear, we won't have to do that. Oh, so are you going to get, um, what are you going to get? Are you going to get one of the uh, multi-pedals? I definitely want one of those. That, that'll be very, very useful for live, especially. Um, and a Voyager. Ooh. A white one with green backlighting. Um, I would like a, a yeah a CP two fifty one. I've heard really really good things about that. What is that one? Is that it's um it's basically another just another uh, module to add to your to your Mografogers. It's got um, sample and hold circuit. I think oh, it's, it's got like a noise a generator. Patch. It's like a yeah, thing. yeah, a little patch. I've, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, really cool. It's really interesting. I want to learn more the about M- them. The MP two hundred one also looks like a very powerful I've seen, they've released a lot of demos recently video demos mm. of, of them showing what it can do and I mm-hmm. think you know it's, it's not a very sexy thing to sell really a foot pedal but when you see what you can do with it interfacing between analog and the digital side mm-hmm. it's really kind of quiet yeah and you can also use it with, with your laptop you can use it with Ableton um, it's an incredibly flexible but you can use it to I think you can control four different parameters um, on your Mografogers with that pedal so it kind of from, I think it basically just gives you four extra hands to tweak with, in a yeah. way. Yeah. You know? Uh, Always handy. I hope I'm describing it right. But yeah, Particularly as you were holding your mic there. So <laughs> we only had one you only had one hand free. We, we, mm. we, we've only got one mic stand in the uh, office, which we may change now. This may be a, a kind of <laughs> epoch-changing event. That, you know, <laughs> invest in a new mic stand so that next time we like the turning stand. point yeah <laughs> when we play when we play live i use i use two expression pedals with the with the with the ring mod um to treat my voice i, I just uh, control the mix and the carrier frequency with foot pedals and it's so geeky but that's what i do <laughs> no well, that's, it's like playing feels like you're playing a pump organ and what the show's for. i feel yeah. i feel at least we've got a monopoly in the corner so I mean, I'd, yeah. lo- I'd love to have you play it but it's actually totally screwed and only works over midi oh poor baby it's a, it's a shame yeah yeah but you know what yeah. can you do as we're as we're talking um, a lot about uh, gear here, am I am I really loud there? That's all right. That's okay. Just, just <laughs> um, one thing about the album, I think that's really important for people to um, remember. I think is that it, this is the first time Tara created a solo album. She's obviously created a, a bunch of other albums with other bands and producers and so forth. But the key here was for Tara to to create the album that she really really wanted to create, hmm. and effectively had. You know, creatively almost zero input 
from anyone else. I know there mm. are a few, some of the people that played on the records, even though you gave them the, you know, effectively what to play. Yeah. They, they obviously, as great session musicians mm-hmm. uh, and bands would do, they, they worked around that a bit and came up with some great alternatives for you. Mm-hmm. But uh, effectively, the idea and the concept of this was for Terra to actually finally produced the album she wanted to mm. produce for me Tara's a real a great great writer and a, and a phenomenal uh, uh, just has a phenomenal ear with music and I felt every time I was trying to influence the song it, it's a bit like I mean in a sense it's like walking up to Paul McCartney and going hey you know that that song you wrote I think you should do it this way and if I'm doing that to Paul McCartney it's going to be worse it might be different <laughs> but it's just going to be a worse song if I, right, come so up and say, I don't hey, know about that. Actually. <laughs> no, trust me. No. <laughs> Maybe you should have had a word about the frog chorus. Well, yeah. <laughs> you might be right there. But you know what I mean? It, my, my influence would have, I, I don't think, would have, it just would have made things different and it wouldn't have been the, the album Terra wanted to create. So that we decided not to do it with a producer mm-hmm. and um, for Terra to, to produce it herself. So Terra took about a year learning logic yeah. to self produce, which was a really big. Yeah, and that is mm-hmm. a big, that's a big difference. You know, and it took a long, long time. Way sometimes, doesn't it, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what it did do is it, it the, the album that you're hearing is exactly every, literally every single note, and every single sound on that album is exactly what Terra wanted, with nobody else's really with nobody else's input, mm. um, which is I think is quite rare today. Yeah, I, I, certainly for I mean, with with respect for a woman, because a lot of a lot of women go into music and. Guys tend to be, I mean, certainly sure. the producers we've worked with in the past have been very mm-hmm. heavy-handed. To, mm-hmm. the, to the extent where Terra's written an entire song and played every instrument on it, and I'm sitting on the, on the sofa behind reading a, a copy of, I don't know, Big and Bouncy or whatever, <laughs> and, um, and Terra's sitting next to them, and they'll, they'll turn around and ask me what I think of the track, and it's like... Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, to me, that should really be an issue. I'm the, I'm the taxi driver. Sure, sure. Hmm. Well, that was because I mean, there's another couple of aspects to. It. I mean, did you did you mix inside the box? I mean, how did you kind of get to the final? We mi- we mixed at a studio called Swing House yeah. in in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So we did we took it as far as we possibly could at home. We we almost did mix it mm. at home, but it was we were in LA and we were in an apartment and it was incredibly loud and we. Um, we had a good uh, a good friend that had um, uh, that studio at uh, Swing House. It was in Hollywood, and it was uh, and they had this really great. Um, it was a Neve desk, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it sounds. It sa- I mean, yeah. I was going to say because the it was real crackly, but it was really it had a real beautiful warmth to it. They just the made them. Really, yeah, yeah. And the, um, wonderful. That, there's a couple of tracks particularly. Um, is this love? Just sounds very mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. analog. Yeah, we're, I was yeah, listening yeah, to the SoundCloud themes. stuff actually earlier because I was listening to oh, the yeah. remixes because you're doing quite a lot of remixes now as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, is that something that you consciously got into? Or you know? yeah, I really, really again, it's more of um, wanting to. Uh, develop more as a producer because there's a big side of me that wants to produce other artists as well it's a really a really uh interesting thing for me and um to to uh be able to remix other artists to me it just kind of felt like i was i was doing what i would have done if i'd have produced that song sure so i just um there were a few artists that i really really liked and i asked their management if i could remix them and went from there and um and as far as the, the like the remixes, I just wanted to do something very different from um, after finishing Pilfisher Lane. Um, I really felt like doing something very different, and um, 
so that was, um, yeah, it was a really, really good branching out and it kind of helped, uh, help position me in a way, um, kind of set, set me apart a bit from, um, other artists, I think, cause I don't think that there are a lot of female artists, especially out there that, that remix. No. So, and that wasn't my reason for doing it. I just honestly really, really, really was interested in doing it. So, well, the, so. the chance to get behind the, the, you know, we'll put Tari Amos's stems into logic and play around with that it's just i mean that's just insane in in any way you know it's just a lot of fun just to hear her piano stem (laughs) so sounds vaguely erotic it is i know (laughs) (laughs) piano porn absolutely (laughs) i think what i'm gonna do i'm gonna welcome our the show sponsor and then i'll come back and uh, talk a little bit more about uh, maybe some of the instruments and software they use so i'm just going to do a little ad here it's, uh, and we'd like to say thank you very much to C Yamaha for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, they're a long-time sponsor. And they want to bring you to your attention the Yamaha Download, which is their monthly uh, music production podcast. It covers all aspects of music performance, creation and production, including interviews with key artists, latest product, product news, competitions, tutorials. There's something for all kinds of musicians, and it's not just like a Yamaha Fest kind of sales pitch. It's actually quite good content. What I would suggest you do is you go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha. There's a, a, a landing page there with a couple of links that will take you directly through to where you can download the podcast. Uh, you can get it on iTunes as well, so you should be able to find it that way. Uh, and also, um, they've got a newsletter, and as we get closer and closer to NAM, uh, we're finding that um, there are going to be products coming real soon. And quite often, uh, Yamaha will announce these first in their newsletter, so if you want to keep up, uh, even before it gets into the news channel, so if you want to keep up uh, with the latest Yamaha product releases, and we hear there are going to be seven or eight new Yamaha products in across all sorts of car- categories for NAM. So uh, go and subscribe to the Yamaha newsletter too. Uh, and that, again, can be found either at yamahadownload.co.uk or sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha. If you use the, the latter link, it just means that they can track it easier and tell where it came from. It's purely uh, statistical anomaly as it were. So once again, we want to say thank you very much to Yamaha for their continued sponsorship of the show. We really, really do appreciate it. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up of their new stuff uh, in the forthcoming NAM show. When I was looking at the work that you did on the Polly Scattergood and probably the Bat for Lashes remixes, because mm-hmm. you do YouTube videos sort of t- saying what you're up to, which is really insightful and very interesting. And I mm-hmm. saw the, the way that you were putting together the Bat for Lashes. That's Daniel. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that remix. And, yeah, but I, did, I couldn't help but notice there were a couple of G-Force products in there. So yes, I'd just like to introduce you to Dave Spears. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's also on the show. Of course, of course. <laughs> I've got a couple of questions, actually, Tara, if I can. Yes. Of course. Um, one is decidedly rude. Um, how old are you? 36. Okay, brilliant. Um, I'll tell you what it is. October I, 13th. This... Now you know what I want for my birthday is whatever... that You're uh, working you on an Oberheim plug-in? <laughs> what? <laughs> you're two, two days after me. Really? Yeah. Cool. Right on. Very Carry on, Dave. I find it really interesting that, you know, I think people get to a certain age and they start to kind of evaluate their past. But I wonder mm. what the... I mean, I've been working on this kind of very private project although it's not private anymore obviously um about growing up in the 70s and i remember seeing a picture of you at tomorrowland at disney (laughs) (laughs) which i really again it was a kind of it was it sort of it sparked something and for me actually what sparked my little project was my dad watching old cine film footage and the grainy quality of it and all the rest of it. And it was just trying to kind of capture that. And I really wondered kind of what was the, what was the kind of seed that started this project for you? Gosh. Um, 
if there was one in particular? So I, I think it was... This was an album that I think has been sort of brewing inside of me for quite a long time. And after working with lots of different bands and working as a session singer for years and years and years, I think it kind of just came back around to where it was time to tell a story and I finally had something to say. And I'm and I was really, really into just sort of revisiting that part of my life. And I think it might have been that maybe I was a little homesick. I hadn't been spending a lot of time with my family, that maybe something like that. But it was just something that I felt like uh, I needed to um, recreate and revisit. And and maybe it was also a part of me developing my identity as um, as an artist too, is to revisit the childhood and build yourself back up. So and. Also, I'm not sure if that makes any sense or not, but yeah. um, <laughs> but also that the part of the aesthetic as well is one that I just absolutely adore. Is that I wanted to make a sort of prog electronica orchestral pop album, um, and I, I I wanted to throw all those influences together and see what happened. So, admittedly, it was mainly mainly David Bowie and, and the Beach Boys, but it was. Um, I just really had something something to say, I suppose. Well, it's interesting the way that um, the ta- that sort of almost the childhood memory of how you perceive music or music that you perceive as being a certain way. Sometimes when you go back and listen to a track, you think it wasn't like that at all. I, mm-hmm. I've just approximated a memory of it, and so in some ways that makes can make things stand out and be much more unique because of the way that you interpret them over time. Yeah, and and sometimes they they don't change, and they or or they take you right back to when you were five years old. Or you know, it's 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 incredibly powerful. So I just I kind of just wanted to um, see if I could make other people feel the way I did about that. So it was, um, well, it, yeah. It, I mean, I think it's it is a very to. it's a very atmospheric record. I mean, mm-hmm. you definitely get that. Mm-hmm. You can hear hear the way you know it's em- emotional and dreamlike. You know, it feels mm-hmm. like like you know seeing you perform there. There's a sort of visceral nature to it, which is good mm-hmm. in music rather than it just being cerebral. I think. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I definitely wanted there to be some some blood and guts to it and some <laughs> honesty. And and there there are a few songs on there that were that were a bit. Uh, emotional to make like um, imaginary audience on there was um, pretty simple but it was just about the um, the walk to the bus stop every day and how lonely and scary it was and for some reason when I was recording the lead vocal to that I just couldn't couldn't get around crying when I was singing it and it's you know it's kind of hard to sing when you're Really right. how, do you, how do you deal with that live? <laughs> I don't play it live. <laughs> Too many chord changes. Uh, but <laughs> but it was it, it was a really intense album to make, and you know when um, and it, it did take a, it did take a little while and quite a bit of emotional archaeological digging to get back down there and, and pull it all together. Well, and you know what's quite fascinating is because obviously you know. In some ways, you know, that part of the process and the actual nuts and bolts of production are kind of separate. They're different parts of your brain, but yes. you have to do them at the same time. That must be quite you have to keep, challenging. I, I almost got to, it, it did drive me a bit mad because I, I felt like I had to change hats so much that, you know, I did, you start to blur the line between, <laughs> you know, the, the one that's performing it and doing these going way into this really crazy, irrational dreamland where you're taking on this character and giving a performance. And then you go and sit at the desk and you're like, right, I need to edit this, blah, 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 you know. Oh, that sucked. Go do it again. So, right. 
I put back on the artist hat, go in the vocal booth, do it again. Yeah, and it's I mean, like thing, you, you become two people. Yeah. It's a bit nuts, <laughs> but it's <laughs> but but again, in saying that, I had um, Meth was was always around to keep me from sort of emotionally wandering off into a nowhere land. Oh, absolutely. Space, yeah. yeah, and I, was, uh, <laughs> I just stepped in and slapped her. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically, I'm sure you mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, yeah. So it was, um, you know, I don't. Uh, it was, uh, yeah. It was really, really good to have at least feedback. You know, I definitely wasn't on my own with that. So, yeah, this was it was good fun though. Mm-hmm. Great. I mean, one of the other questions I was going to ask, um, because obviously, the you know, you're inhabiting this sort of totally new musical landscape uh, mm. in terms of the business side of things i mean you've got oh, yeah. a, i guess it's kind of a loose uh, uh, arrangement with tummy touch i mean then i don't strike me as the kind of uh, the top floor kind of swivelly executive you know you will mm. do as we ask kind of no. record company and also you do a lot of your own stuff i mean you're doing mm-hmm. your own visuals maths doing you know the, the visual side of it as mm-hmm. well and the promotion you know you've got a healthy twitter following all of those mm-hmm. things i mean that's quite an interesting aspect to it as well outside of the creative side mm-hmm. i mean do you find that a chore or do you find that kind of do you enjoy that part of it too i enjoy the majority of it, it, it again it's um it's it's uh both math and i that that manage all of that but it's um it can be very time consuming when you know, i feel like i should be working on music a lot of times it'll it'll take up a lot of a lot of time during the day and a lot of energy but the benefits of you know doing that have been great so i just have to figure out how to organize my brain to where i can switch off Mm. doing the business stuff and get in the studio and still have the energy to do it but it's i'm I'm getting used to it yeah i mean i suppose that's the thing isn't it i mean traditionally the record company and all of that machinery would buffer you from that process a little bit so that you could be inhabit Mm. the creative but you know i am getting to where you know we're we're embracing that that's all a part of it now. Um, I'd, yeah. I'd much rather there not be a middle person in there doing it for me by any means. I want to, you know, we want, we want to contact and have direct contact with the people that are supporting us and, you know, lo- that are loving mm. the music and are buying the box set. And, you know, I'd much, much rather be able to have direct contact with, with people that are supporting us rather than have some anonymous label that nobody, you know, no one who knows who they are. Yeah, sure. contacting people. But tell people. them about the Facebook group. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Pilfer okay, Sherlane 100. Why well, is there only 44 in the 100? <laughs> <laughs> quite a few said that they refused. Well, not, not quite a few, but some certainly said they refused because be they, they, they hate Facebook. Yeah. Oh, which, okay. Which is right. quite uh, is that, well, We've got to, the box set owners have to join the... Oh, and this Nick doesn't, isn't even a member. Oh, thank oh, God, Nick. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, your publicity sucks. You know, I don't know about it. Oh, my God. <laughs> you can't keep up with it all. No. But, but, yeah, getting back to Tummy Touch, though, I thought, I thought they're, they're not a um, quote-unquote traditional label, but they're they did massive, enable us to do some wonderful things. Massive corporate pigs that... <laughs> live on the top of a golden skyscraper in New York. Throw us crumbs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Horrible people. They, they forced math to... <laughs> and so Design your children and you know in perpetuity you know this just you've signed everything away yeah. they're, they're, just gone. for the chance to touch just, just for the chance great. to reach for the stars <laughs> yeah sign a life away should be lucky no tim and matt tell me touch are just wonderful wonderful guys that genuinely do it because they love 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 music mm. so we're just so happy to well you're yeah. very lucky because well, I mean, it's hard to find people like that yeah, yeah well, with the box set they just told told us to you know 
do it. Here's your budget. Do what you want with it. And Math designed, you know, did all. We worked really hard on getting something that was a, a really beautiful visual representation of the music on the album. So we were pretty much free to do whatever we wanted with it. Well, I'd like so. to be able to comment uh, sort of more on how that looks, but mine's still unopened. So. Yeah. And Mark, you haven't been tempted to open it. I have been tempted to open it, but I've managed to resist the temptation. And I have to say, I think Tim stuck the stamps on the um, on the packaging, and the stamps are really an art, a work of art in themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I know they're all like five cent stamps, and there's about fifty of them or something. There's all yeah. There's loads of really weird numerical denominations, but there's sort of a pattern of all different. Oh my god! Uh, is there any sort of positive element to uh, Tim, or is he? I mean, I don't know the guy at all. That might be a terrible slur, but just um, just a question. He's barking man in a great way. In a great way. Yeah, he's very funny. He is a he. Yeah, he is a compulsive tweaker but aren't we all yeah well, that's why we're here isn't it yeah, really? one of the things about the box set is that we uh, designed the, the stamp which is the little little red stamp on the outside and that was the the, the obsessive thing that i was so oh, worried you were that, so ocd about that yeah so worried that they were not going <laughs> to stamp it correctly and tim <laughs> tim actually got i can't remember the guy's name one of the guys that works at tammy Church mm-hmm. got him to call me so that i could explain to him how to stamp the front oh. of the which was kind of a bit embarrassing because <laughs> Tim was so worried about, about me getting upset about the stamp not being right. Oh. Um, Just let it go now, though. I, yeah. <laughs> but I did, the first thing I did is when I came in here, I looked at your box set to see if the stamp was good, and it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. I think if you've spent the entire record choking back your opinions and doing it the other person's way, you're due a little bit of OCD at the end. Yeah. 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 yeah that was my, my contribution. <laughs> You know, how do you choose which which areas to grow? You know, because you've got the analogsuicide.com blog, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. which is your kind of uh, electronic geeky side, and then yeah. you've got the kind of YouTube, which is the the, the video stuff that you do. Then you've mm-hmm. also got, I guess, MySpace and all those other things. I mean, and yeah. Twitter and all of those things. How do you choose where to focus all of that stuff? Well, I, th- I think the the main focus is is the music and analog suicide, and I think that. What we kind of aim to do is use the other things as sort of a peripheral, almost way of funneling people into feet, yeah. um, analog suicide or or uh, terabush.com is also ah, um, okay. a website as well. But it's mainly analogsuicide.com because I really think that's um, an interesting kind of goofy way to interact with people and learn more about production and about synths. But it's also meant to be very funny and light too. Mm. So um, I think it's I think it's much better than Sonic State though. Uh, well, I clearly, know. I mean, all that traffic comes from you guys. So <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that you're going Both to post a link to this podcast. On there. <laughs> as far as the the online stuff, I just I think it's um, certainly I mean obviously the way forward. Yeah. And it's um, I think it's almost gotten. Maff and I've been talking about this a lot in the past few days. Where I just think I mean things change so rapidly, but it's that I almost feel like. F- you know the the music buying public or fans or music lovers or whatever that i think they're almost beginning to expect artists to be more direct or with to them to come and get them yeah and um yeah. i think they deserve it you know i think they deserve to have um a bit of insight into how people i mean and this is just my personal opinion a lot of other artists are very private and don't don't want to sure. want to be a, a lot more mysterious but 
I'm just going by what I like to see. I love to know how people made their music. I love to know how they got that sound. And I think it's wonderful when artists are like, yes, I use this pedal and all that. You know, that's why uh, one of the reasons we started Analog Suicide is because I was so curious and probably a bit nosy about how <laughs> how people made their music. Sure. And uh, being fascinated with Brian Wilson's production and just uh, all of it, it's all um, a really great, great way to interact with people. And I, I think people are really um really gracious i think when when artists are you know laid back about it and want to interact with you you don't i mean you don't have to give yourself away and we spend a lot lot of time obviously as you know we we i spent a lot of time in the music industry and so is terra my, myself from a um an indie record label dance music side and terra from a, a musician um, but the, the the record industry obviously has changed massively over the years and i think year by year is changing still massively and it's still trying to find its feet two things we've we've done one is we've specifically um made a point of remembering that music and the music industry are completely separate things and i think often people confuse that yeah um and the music industry is not music the music industry in its tradition is you know effectively a mafia style industry which is set up to make money out of songs and it was a bunch of very very powerful people who could effectively pick and choose like a god who was going to be the next star now that's that's not happening as much as it was obviously because there's no the money isn't there um and what what the future holds is your ability to own your yourself within the, the world of the music industry yeah um and that's really important for us. And for, for, for us, I want to, uh, you know, myself and Tara want to control our image. And by owning our image and creating our image, um, and it, the image being quite honest, I think, um, I think that gives us a lot more control in the future. And it will be more powerful in the future because, you know, I, I had arguments in the mid-90s. I mean, I was in university in 1992 when the internet was just being installed at Exeter University. Mm-hmm. And I remember having an argument with someone, me being on the side of this is a bunch of crap, it's never going to catch on. And spent two, two years then without an email and then finally got a Hotmail account, which I actually still have. Um, and, you know, each year it's, the, the internet has been such a significant advance. And you only got, I mean, you've mm. you only got to go back a few years like pre-MySpace, which is insane, which is now effectively sold hat. Mm. Um, and was a big influence on the music industry. I mean, people, it scared a lot of people and it, it gave a lot of people um, a great openings. Actually, mm. MySpace gave us a lot of openings. I know. Touch it found start, us by yeah, MySpace. it started a lot right, for yeah, us. I think contact. it was fantastic. I mean, I know it's so it, it, crappy it's circum- in some ways. circumvented the traditional A&R route, didn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, but also, um, I think with, with doing this box set that we did, it's, it's given, given us a way of understanding how we can create a piece of music, a piece of art, um, and distribute it and sell it uh, without the um, uh, without any interference from a major record label, and actually be really, really successful, and actually make money. And not a tremendous amount, obviously. There's only so much money you can make out of a hundred box sets. But as a first, <laughs> but as a first starter, um, it means that to look at a future of making a living out of music. Yeah. One, the product has to be incredibly good and original, really, really wonderful piece. Um, it has to go beyond some kind of download, you know, like a, you know, an MP3 download or whatever for 99 cents or whatever it is. But the point is that when you own 100% of what you do and you can do that, 
um, if you're releasing three or four or five or six great pieces of um, uh, media based around music a year um, that might have maybe 500 copies or 1,000 copies or 50 copies, Mm. then you can actually have a wonderful... Yeah. Wonderful living out of that, and that's that's our aim. The thing, but the things that I sell on the internet, the musical things that I sell on the internet, I can only sell through sources where I have to pay to get it in the iTunes Music Store. And in fact, my return on that has been so small that it probably hasn't even paid for the initial cost it cost me to put it in there. Or if I sell it via Lulu dot com, they take such a large cut. Or even mm-hmm. if I just accept PayPal for it, it's quite a large cut. So how do you translate that into... Well, I mean, you're absolutely right there. I mean, obviously, the cut that, say, um, if you're going direct to iTunes and um, you're getting the revenue from iTunes and you're selling, you know, whatever amounts of uh, downloads and so forth, your cut is still massive compared to what it would have been if you were selling it through a major record label um, in the past. But obviously, your sales... I mean, obviously, if you were releasing something through Sony 10 years ago, you'd, the likelihood is that the, um, the amount of music you would sell would have been much, much more. And um, uh, even your, your five cents or whatever per album, 5p per album, whatever, would be, would be massive compared to the amount you're making now. But um, I think that's changing, and I think that over in the next few years, there will be more independent, more powerful ways of you controlling that iTunes is not going to be the only thing around. I mean, at the moment, it seems to literally own almost everything on the internet in terms of downloads. But I think that's going to change. And I think there will be a time when you're going to have your own store, run your own credit cards, do a whole business through your own little website, and it's not going to cost a lot of money. But, that sounds um, like a good idea for know. a WordPress plugin, then, doesn't it? Well, it, it's going to happen. Absolutely. It, will, happen. Like mm. and it will, yeah, will get cheaper yeah. and cheaper and cheaper, and there'll be free versions. And, you know, that maybe um, we'll make the money through advertising or other, other uh, revenues and so forth. And, um, or or we'll, we'll make money through um, uh, people distributing that in a, in a particular way or something. There's so many different ideas. Just, just look at the past and see how far it's come in the, like, literally just five, even the last five years, let alone the last 10 or 15 years, is, in, is insane. And I think we'll be looking back in... 2015 and, and almost chuckling at, at things like uh, iTunes and uh, mm. uh, Twitter and so forth because it will change massively. Um, that's my prediction. Hold me to it. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, as long as that the internet does stay, you know, really free, then um, which I think it, I, I think it, it's going to be tough. You know, take that kind of freedom away from the average user. Uh, I think I think we'll um, we'll have something great in the next few years come out of it, and we'll we'll be able to be really truly independent artists um, making enough money as obviously as long as your product's good, hmm. which is by far the main thing. That could be my problem. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's the, st- the streaming machine just rebooting. It just seems, seems to have frozen. So, Tara, just um, uh, treading water here while I uh, do some tech. <laughs> sort of some tech stuff. I mean, you used to do a lot of... Um, when we spoke before, in the summer, you were telling me that you used to do quite a lot of work for hire as a singer, kind of sound mm-hmm. likes and what have you. That kind of sounds quite <laughs> yeah. an interesting... That sounds quite challenging. I mean, it's, you know... It is challenging. And I, you know what? I think, I think it's... Um, 
this was, gosh, probably a good 10 years ago now, but I did, I did do a bit of session work in LA too for a few TV shows, um, mainly for uh, a TV show called Weeds. I did a lot of backing vocals and played woodwinds on that. And, um, but the really, uh, juicy session stuff was in Charlotte, North Carolina. (laughs) And that was, um, that was me doing soundalikes for karaoke tapes. Um, including such artists as Shania Twain, Celine Dion, the Spice Girls. Um, I don't know who wow. else. Can you, can you do one? Wow. No, I'm not going to do one. <laughs> do Shania Twain. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I tried, guys. You did. They did try and sue the company because they thought they, it was Christina Aguilera. No, it was Celine Dion. Celine Dion. Sorry. Yeah, may I boast? My Celine Dion was so close. I almost got the company sued. Yay! Wow. <laughs> Is that good? It's, it's not good. It's Vegas for you, girl. Celine Dion singing You're going to be twiddling those knobs in Las Vegas before you know it. I like Ve- Vegas has some good buffets. I'm up for that. <laughs> you and Tom Jones. Uh-oh. I spent a lot of time wandering around Vegas with a handheld recorder recording all the fruit machines and stuff. <laughs> Build your rhythms out of fruit. Of the, ah. Uh, that's, yeah, that's a good idea. Could you a in my job at Duran Duran was John Jones, who actually left that and went and produced a Celine Dion record. So I suppose oh, right, okay. maybe that's what happens after. Maybe that's what happens next. <laughs> well, there, there are a few things I, well, two little things I wanted to shamelessly mention. Of course. Um, there you was gigs. Yeah. We've got a gig tomorrow in Cardiff at eight at the Buffalo Bar. And we're playing there. It's our last UK show, and um, and on the topic of GeForce software, I, I just um, we just re- <laughs> released a free download of um, a Polly Scattergood remix for her song Bunny Club, and um, we did use a load of GeForce software on that. It was it really uh really sparked it up. We used the Mtron and we used the String Machine a lot. Hey. And um, it, it was just—it's—they're brilliant pl- plugins. I'm so so happy to have them. Yeah, you should be a, a proud father of those. They're really good. Okay. I really recommend them. But um, but yeah, but go to uh, my SoundCloud page or to AnalogSuicide.com and download the remix, kids. I will, and we'll put a link to it. Definitely. Yeah, that'd be marvelous. Fabulous. So, there you go. Um, one one thing you guys should know as well, Terra. What were the what are the names of the guys that you worked with on it? The Optagon disc. It's a guy named P Hicks. He does Optagon discs, and um, I just contributed my voice to a new Optagon disc, doing um solfage sim- uh, syllables like do re mi fa sol la ti do, and we just did a yeah did an Optagon disc. And so it's if you in know the, anyone with an Optagon, yeah, like Terra on your Optagon. There it I'll is. Have one here. Yeah, <laughs> I used it a lot on Pilfisher actually for two different songs. Um, for those of you that have the album, it's on Saint George and it's also on Tag, which we're about to play. Okay. So, and I, if you do ever get an Optagon, I highly recommend turning the discs over and running the Optagon through a Mografoger yeah. MF one hundred and one. It's badass. <laughs> right. But, and actually, um, the disc I'm on is called Minimalism. One more tune. What, Have a little sing the, song. What's this one going to be? This one's called Tag, which does indeed feature the Optagon. Um, let's just pretend it's here. <laughs> <laughs> the Optagon running through a uh, Mografoger MF101 low-pass filter uh, and a bunch of other stuff. Brilliant. Okay, look Bread forward Breadbox, synth, all that. 
So, hey. All right, here we go.
Oh, thank you very much. Really nice. Really nice. Tara, that was wonderful. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming down here and doing, setting up and kind of spending some time with us and, and, and letting us inside your world a little bit. Yes. Spilling the beans, as it were. Yes, yes, Brilliant. yes. Thank you very much indeed. Well, okay. I, I think really that's a very good note on which to end the show. So um, it really just kind of remains for me to say um, thank you very much to everybody for coming. First, obviously, to Tara Bush and Matt Lewis for coming down thank and uh, joining us. Yes, it's been really, you. really enjoyable. Thank you very much for coming. Indeed. Thank you. Pleasure. And uh, also to uh, everybody in the chat room, I'm sorry the streaming went a little bit crazy, but um, that's just the way it goes. It's live, after all. And also um, to our guests on the wire, I would say uh, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us, Mr. Rich Hilton from Connecticut. Thank you. My pleasure to spend some time with Tara and Math. Thank you very much. Cheers, You're Rich. welcome. And, um, and Dave Spears from GeForce Software. Thank you. I kind of feel privileged to be here this week. <laughs> yeah, it was a special happening. As opposed to being a chore. <laughs> <laughs> Never a chore, oh. Dave. Never a chore. With instruments you know like I'm that. Joking. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, Mark mm. Tinley too. Uh, thank you. AutismHero.com. Thank you for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. I'm, I've been enlightened. Have you? <laughs> I've never heard of an Optigan and now I've and now I've been on Optigan.com. I've been on eBay, in fact, in the last five minutes. I found out they're not that expensive. Wicked. Um, I can feel a, a, a purchase coming on here. And Go for it. Aren't the internet's great? No, ah, <laughs> uh, the interweb. So thank you very much for that. That's a really, I'm, I'm of course. Feeling Super. inspired and everything. Good heavens. Ah. <laughs> And please uh, do check out Tara's work. Uh, you can visit her website, analogsuicide.com, tarabush.com. And remember, you can buy her great album, Pilfisher Lane, uh, via iTunes and all other reputable digital download outlets. It's out on Tommy Touch Records. Well, well, folks, um, that was Sonic Talk number 157. Um, thank you very much for joining us all. Sonic State.